0: So, um, so yeah. Should we have a little chat about yeah. um, how it's been for you this year since the release of um, "It's Not About the Burka" and touch upon some of the subjects that um, yeah. come up there? Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
0: yeah. So. We're in it's not about the burka. Uh, um, you write a chapter yourself. You not only edited this, uh, but you also uh, wrote a chapter for the book. And the title of that is "Feminism Needs to Die." Yeah, yeah. radical title. We love it. Um, but you're you're talking very specifically, just for the benefit of the listeners. You're talking very specifically about white feminism, capit- capital W, capital F. Um, yeah. So that's uh, white, straight, middle-class, able-bodied yeah. women.
1: Yeah. Um, it's essentially the people in society who have this privilege that I feel like we act like they don't and that they walk around with it and they benefit from society and Uh, systematically benefiting them um but they walk around with this privilege and some you could say that they don't realize that they have this privilege until it is very much pointed out to them let's say like like, by things like my essay but i feel like some people really do understand that they are privileged in a way that let's say people of color or like um people within other minority communities don't Possess these privileges that these white, straight, middle-class, able-bodied people do, Um, and I think that it's incredibly important that those people realise their power in all of this. And often, when we talk about feminism, the conversation falls around patriarchy and men and um, like the disparity of treatment between men and women. But I think that there's a huge um, shortfall in acknowledging um, just how much power, um, you know, that set group of people that we're talking about, um, and just to paraphrase that entire thing, white women have, um, and how much privilege they possess and how much power they have, um, and how much they could help those within minority spaces. That's not to say that they don't face, um, you know, issues themselves within the world, because obviously patriarchy exists. But it's to say that if we're going to put things on a scale, they're still benefiting from society in a way I, as a Muslim woman, um, and a person of colour, cannot, and I'm not benefiting.
0: Because you talk about, you know, in the chapter, how you've been disappointed um, Mm. on several occasions by feminist groups or or feminists who you're Mm. perfectly aligned with and uh, that you you fight for as well. Like, you fight for the choice that, you know, those particular feminists um, uh, would like, but then yeah. it's not reciprocated.
1: Yeah, um, and very much like I came to that sort of, you know, my journey of feminism sort of started, um, I think I sort of had it before, mm. um, when I was younger, but like nobody had put the label feminism on it, like nobody had said, "Oh, this is what feminism is." Um, and then when I went to university and like I did a literature degree, and we ended up looking at fem- feminism theory, um, and I was like, "Yes, this is it. This is this is my calling." You know, this is it. This is my space. Um, it, the more I sort of understood feminism, I realised that it had intersections to our identity. There was this one very specific way to be a feminist to be empowered? Um, it didn't really make space for you if you didn't subscribe or prescribe to like these set values. So, for example, if we talk about, so I'm um, I'm invisibly Muslim woman, I wear a hijab, um, and I have genuinely had people and women come up to me and say, So, why do you wear that? um, or like when. When people know that I'm um, a feminist, you know, um, and I wear hijab, I've had people say to me, how can you be a feminist if you wear that? Or how can you be a feminist if you're a Muslim? This this constant, like, under, um, you know, this constant inability to sort of see me as someone who's nuanced, who has agency, has the ability to... um, you know, sort of have an opinion just because I, somehow, me wearing a hijab takes away from, you know, me being an intellectual person or, um, you know, me having um, opinions or, you know, all of that. And even mm. as far as, like, if we look at things like, um, you know, France, if we look at, at things like the burqa ban um, and we look at, you know, the very small group of people that a whole law was created around to basically ban the burqa, you mm. um, and sort of the knock-on effect that that had in Europe, um, it's just disgusting um, that basically um, people think, and, and, you know, part of the reasoning that was used for sort of that law and that ban was that um, essentially, you know, you would be, freeing these women and you would be allowing them to like, you know, it'd be more of a socially uh, cohesive society. These women didn't wear these things and, you know, they weren't like, you know, authentically themselves. And actually, if you look at the research, I think there's some research by the Open Society. Mm -hmm. um, And I've sort of touched on this in another essay that I've written for um, the Rife um, Anthology. Um, And um, in in that, I basically mentioned that when the Open Society did some um, research on like the law, that had been put in place in France, they actually found that the like sort of the principles of um, of, of reasoning that was used to put down this law um, was actually it was doing the opposite. So, like the fact that they said, "Oh, it would build social cohesion," it wasn't. And and Muslim women were um, the Muslim women. It was a very small group of Muslim women that they did this investigation with, but. Um, they said that, you know, Muslim women had been spent on and that, you know, they were now taking um you know, they're not leaving their houses because they It seems like the law has sort of emboldened people to sort of police Muslim women's bodies now. And so for me, there's a constant underpinning of people constantly questioning Muslim women and our agencies and just our ability. And the thing that breaks my heart even more is that it's not just patriarchy, it is women too. Mm. Um, And often those women are white women with that privilege who are unable to believe that they're sisters um have this power or intellect to make their own decisions and it's so frustrating when patriarchy does it but i'm like at least they're men um or at least and you know not to say that to be a you know soldier of patriarchy you have to be a man but most of the time let's just say that's what it is mm-hmm. but like um like when it's a woman when it's like someone who you you know when you see another woman in the street you think okay that's my ally but then when they when they act in ways that, you know, with consistent aggressions and microaggressions, mm. and this inability to sort of see you as their equal, you just think this is this is not this is this is deceptive more than anything. Um, yeah. So yeah,
0: it's that kind of posturing as if you know they're they've got um, the the kind of best intentions for Muslims mm. and that, uh, that they're going to liberate um yeah. you know by doing this but actually mm. it's they're, they're not actually listening um no. to what m- muslim women are saying um no. it's just been completely kind of falling on deaf ears so to speak um, yeah
1: and, and there's often like this very one specific way to, so so in my um in my essay it was say like you know um the nipple is great and I'm all for it and like you know if a woman wants to wear a skirt I'm all for it and if they want to wear no clothes I'm all for it like as a Muslim woman and a woman of faith like I believe wearing my um, hijab um, is like between me and God and it's like a part of my faith and my identity and a lot of people won't understand that and so just as I feel like why I find feminism taxing is because I am able to support women who are different to me and I believe in their right to be different um, uh, and I support it. And when I ask for the same in return, it's not possible. It doesn't seem possible. To the same people that I extend like my support to, they're unable to give it back.
0: Yeah, I mean... because um, So I, I read your Rife essay as well and... Um I have the I have the book in front of me and um, and so you in that essay you talk yeah you talk about France so you reference you know the 2016 um, Burkini incident on the beach in the south of France and more, and more recently
1: I read that um, uh, a school had put um, in, in a hijab wearing um, mother on um, an ad for um, volunteer volunteer school trips and um, someone, a political figure in France, I don't really pay attention to them because they're all the same, because, and I just don't have the brain span to you know Um Sure.
0: Um,
1: and they'd basically criticised um, the school for using a hijabi um, Muslim woman on this um, volunteering school trip. So it's basically like parents volunteering with kids to go on school trips and said because France is a secular space um, Mm. that they shouldn't have used a woman in a hijab. Which I find, like, I just think, like, I'm not going to start commenting on France and its lack of... Anyway. But yes, my essay um, overall discussed white feminism, how I'm trying to find a place in feminism, how I believe we should all be intersectional feminists and look at... Other with like um, this frame of yes, there's there's more um, uh, intersections to your identity than this singular one, um, and 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 until and only 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 when we have made space for each other um, and recognise that some power structures benefit some people in one way and some power structures don't um, and how systems are set up to benefit some and not others and until those of us who are privileged in one space are pulling up others who are not we're not going to reach a feminism that I feel Mm -hmm. entirely comfortable in and this is a recurring conversation that I keep having with the Muslim women around me Mm -hmm. who are women but they are so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. with the label of feminism because It's just not reciprocated in the same way that we see ourselves acting out our support and um, supporting those who are a part of the feminist movement. And in something when you're constantly sidelined, it's just taxing to constantly define yourself as something um, in, in, in a way where, in, where you're constantly side, sidelined to say, oh, I'm a feminist, but it kind of makes you think, but like, am I like, am I just being ignorant? Like, if mm. these people do not want me in this space, and so my essays sort of a reclaiming of feminism, but I won't lie, I'm still struggling with like, mm. you know, that I that you know that table that I want I want to sit at a table where I'm, you know, equal to the women around me, where they acknowledge that they, you know, have. Um, you know privilege and and that's fine you know like you know if you're if you're a white woman <laughs> i'm not going to say oh yeah like you you know she didn't do anything to be born a white woman but like she just needs to acknowledge or if you're like just like you know there's lots of privileges that i possess that someone else might not um and and that doesn't mean that doesn't make me a bad person it just means i need to be aware of my standing in
0: society uh, absolutely and as you've been promoting the book have those spaces that you've been speaking generally felt safe to you and open and kind of the second part of that question is you know have you had these these white feminists um, that you talk about in the chapter of your of it's not about the burqa have you you know had them come up to you and be like oh um now I get it like I, I need to check all of my privileges um, and I wasn't um, doing that before before I read the book or, or heard you speak
1: I think um, the entire book uh, like it's not like the burka, is incredibly confronting to a lot of people in many different ways both within the community and outside of it um, because it covers a very Broad range of topics, Mm. and very much so, these are only the beginnings of conversations and debates. And so, like, it covers marriage, it covers divorce, it covers uh, sex, it covers race, it covers identity, it covers mental health.
0: Yeah, mental
1: health. It literally
0: covers
1: so much. It covers being a Muslim by heritage, and so much, but. I would say that it, it would be unfair for me to say that, you no know, people haven't. I, I think sometimes, some events, I walk out of events and I think, oh my God, like, I can feel like, when I'm sitting in, a, in an event, and I don't, I don't know how to, sort of like, make it clear, but when someone's listening to you, I feel like you can tell when you're talking on a panel that an audience is listening to you, because mm. there's just this sort of, like, I don't know, like, under like this sort of like hum of like concentration in the room, mm. and like they're really just drinking in what you're saying.
0: Mm.
1: So there's been events like that, and I had a really wonderful event at um, Kenawa at the Literature Festival, which I um, attended. I think it was last weekend or the weekend before. I can't remember. Maybe it was last weekend, and mm-hmm. um, it was just the whole audience was just drinking in what we were saying. It was wonderful. And then we've had, and, and you know, it's all like a learning experience, and I, as much as anyone, know and knew that putting myself in event spaces would mean I'd have to deal with certain things. Right. Um, and I think that some, you know, I've had instances where we've done an hour-long talk uh, about the book, and um, and then someone said, okay, yeah, but what about, you know, the the fact that a Muslim parent's forced young Muslim girls to wear the hijab or you know what about FGM because Islam supports that and and as much as those conversations are ones that need to be had and Mm. are had and as much as those conversations are important the point of this book is that there are certain conversations that are um I had over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And what I would really love if the Muslim identity, especially the Muslim female identity, yeah. was a nuanced conversation and a nuanced debate. So, yes, let's talk about FGM. And, yes, let's talk about your perception and entitlement and why you feel you need to intervene in like um a parent and their child and again take away agency from someone's parenting um and why you don't believe that's in a community discussion but um you know that's fine let's talk about those things too but like sometimes you need to acknowledge that some conversations need to happen purely within communities and i think this is another thing that i think the book sort of talks about and i think we're more sort of um uh, uh, obvious with it in events where literally pointing out to someone that some conversations need to just happen within the Muslim community. And um, mm. yes, you can you can just watch and you can listen, but at that time it's not your turn to talk. Because yes. I think the, the, the sometimes the the reason why the Muslim community and Muslim uh, the conversation around Muslim women can't progress is because. Um, we're not allowed to have our own safe spaces. Everyone else feels so entitled to Mm. our spaces, to Mm. speak for us, to speak about us, that they're unwilling to let us have our own dialogue. Mm. And because of that unwillingness, and yes, your intention might be, you know, it might be the best intention in the world, but until you acknowledge that you speaking up in a space where a Muslim woman should be speaking up, Mm. Um, and and that potentially being detrimental to that space and that conversation, the progression—it's n- nothing that's going to move forward. And so those conversations are important, but the ones that the book is having are ones are, that are just as important, and yeah. that are not given any airtime. And so what I find frustrating sometimes, or at some events, is what I end up having to do is remind the people that you've just come and you've listened to an hour. Of us talking, mm-hmm. but all you've been thinking in your head is oppressed, 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 yeah. FGM, SGM, SGM, yeah. and like, and it sometimes it's just so disheartening, and other times I'm just, I, and and for me, like in that moment, it depends on how the person reacts to what I'm saying. When I sort of, now, it's, it's, it's a gentle reminder. And, and you need to just take a step back and think about. Your, what what perceptions you came to this with mm. and, and what you're taking away and then maybe read the book as well somewhere in between and that will balance things out for you. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know if that's the answer your question.
0: No, no, yeah. no, certainly. Like, no, thank you for sharing that. Uh, it certainly went some way towards... Um, answering the question and you know people should definitely read the book you've just spoken there Mariam about uh, not having the opportunities uh, to talk as, as a Muslim woman as a Muslim feminist mm-hmm. so it's it, it, it's that's why it's so fantastic that you know there are now books being published like it's not about the burqa and rife um, which give these spaces, which give these platforms um, for, for the communities to talk. So I just wanted to kind of, I'm curious, how did It's Not About the Burqa come to be?
1: Oh, um, okay. So I think that's where my privilege comes in. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so um, uh, I don't know if you know who Nikesh Shukla is.
0: I do. I'm a big... Yeah, yes.
1: yeah, is he's, he's, he's wonderful I had this idea for a while mm. but it sort of was just you know when it's in your head and it's just like you know just getting ready yeah. and um, around that time The Good Immigrant had come out and just in a like offhand conversation online I was speaking to Nikesh in like a DM group mm. um, with a couple of our other friends and I was like if I could do a book this is what it would be and it would be a collection mm. of essays and it would basically be responding back to something that um, ex ex Prime Minister David Uh Cameron UK Prime Minister David Cameron had said in a speech where he was addressing the radicalisation of Muslim men and I'm not gonna get into that because it's Mm. tiresome. And essentially he had blamed the radicalisation of men, um, Muslim men on Muslim women for being quote traditionally submissive. Mm. And 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 i just i remember reading like everything i could about that and then i remember going online and seeing like this huge backlash of women holding up placards, um, where they had essentially they were responding to the prime minister, and they had like water survivor, PhD student, mother, doctor, you mm. know, just all of these labels that you wouldn't associate with Muslim women, yeah. and, um, and 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 they were sort of responding back to the most powerful man in the country, the, you know, the top position in our country, mm. um, and the and you know. You, no let's not let's not play about David Cameron is an educated individual. Mm. He has probably in his lifetime met many educated and worked alongside many educated Muslim women. Mm. And so for then him to turn around and essentially blame Muslim women. Um, for the radicalization of uh, men and to sort of frame us like that as if, you know, we didn't have any agency, we didn't have an identity other than that. And what I was tired of was this constant political identity around Muslim women sort of completely um, drowning any other individuality amongst us and sort of like seeing us as a monolith. Yeah. Um, and so I was saying this to the I was like, if I could put a book together, this is what it would be. And he was like, so why don't you then? Um, you know when someone just just yeah. calmly just calls you out like, okay, so just do it. Like, you know, yeah. what's stopping you? And it was so, <laughs> it was so calm. It was, just, it was very much like, okay, so, okay, well, you know, between us, because everyone in the chat that I was in worked in, in, in publishing. And, and it's not that they were right. connected in a way that could, like, essentially, like, get me a book deal. But, like, they were like, we believe in this idea we believe in you, let's just write a proposal, let's get it done. So he basically convinced me to write a proposal, and then from there sort of it spiraled along, and I thought, I I didn't want to do the self-published way, which is what he'd done with A Good Immigrant. Um, So I decided to do the get yourself an agent and get Mm -hmm. yourself a publisher. Um, And strangely enough, the agent who I'm with now, I kind of, like, Knew her, but mm-hmm. I didn't. Like, um, she, I used, I used to do a lot of like book blogging, and she, um, um was an agent for one of the authors that I really loved. And essentially, I just, I, I, just said to her like, I'd love to have a meeting with you because, um, I don't know what I'm doing with this proposal. I just have this book idea. Could you give me some advice? Yeah. Um, it wasn't even a meeting to be like, can you be my agent? It mm. was genuine just like, don't know where I'm going with this. I've just now got a proposal. I think it's. You know a thing that we need to have in the world um what do you think um and then after that it was kind of it was weird because we had like this whole lunch conversation about um you know who we could who we could send the proposal to um as in like which agent to send it to and at the end mm-hmm. of it i was like oh but you're an agent you should just be my agent <laughs> <gasps> and this is where my privilege comes in because i know our writers and authors um, getting an agent is really 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 hard mm. and um, sort of like so she went away and she had a think and then like in the evening she like yeah I'm like you know, it would be great to work with you uh. on this project and that's how I got my agent essentially right. um, and then I feel like it was a week or maybe two weeks but I feel like it was a week sort of like you know we sent the proposal out and then people were interested and then Peter was very interested and, um, and sort of you know offers were good, but like Picador had made, like you know, and I'd met. Um, at this point, I'd met um, the commissioning edi- editor. Okay, we'd had a meeting with Picador um, at Picador and um, and Sophie Jonathan, and um, she's she was just fantastic. If there was one person, like after me or even <laughs> even more than me who believed in this book, it was her.
0: Okay, um,
1: and like the fact that. Like, for me, I see her as a huge ally to this book because it, it wouldn't yeah. have been published if, like, that support wasn't there. Yeah. Um, and sort of, like, having, like, a publisher behind you that really genuinely does believe in the book that you're um, putting out and, like, the in, in, in the in the integrity of having a Muslim woman like, work on it in the way that I did, um, I'm incredibly grateful for. And so that's basically how it got to the point from I had an idea... I kept getting pushed by everyone. <laughs> everyone, um, and then I got an agent, and and sort of like uh, what I will caveat that entire thing with is that to get into publishing was potentially one of the hardest things that I had to do.
0: Right. I slept
1: on my floors. I did unpaid internships. I I you know got paid nothing for ages. Yes. Um, I you know it was to get to those people who um, eventually were like, yeah, we believe in you, we, we think that you can do this thing. Um, I had to do a lot for nothing for free to build up like this, like name or idea or like for people to believe in me and like my ability. Um, and, I, and so very much I do recognize that there's a lot of privilege in that journey of mine, but I do feel like that privilege came from hard work. Um, and it wasn't necessarily handed to me and I really wouldn't like for someone to think
0: oh yeah she just walked up to someone rapped up to someone and said hey i want to book this and they were like yeah, have yeah. one. no um, no so absolutely yeah. it sounds like there was a lot of uh, years of hustle and you know not being seen and just like slogging slogging your guts out you know to get to that point um, Yeah. so, um, that's very much so well my done platform help thank you <laughs> it's amazing um so and, and again you know as as we've said you know whenever we have privilege it's just a matter of acknowledging it um, yeah. and being aware of and, it and
1: sharing it as well so yeah part of the part of the um the thing for me was i what i really desperately didn't want to do with this book is to have it be another. Not that there's anything wrong with those who do write their book on their own, books on their own. But what I didn't want is for this to be another one-woman show of how mm-hmm. it is um, or what it's like to be um, a Muslim woman. And I thought, what's the most physical thing that I could do in this book to literally force the reader to acknowledge that there is seventeen different mm. Muslim women, seventeen different stories. And myself, is going to pick it up and be like, oh yeah, all Muslim women are like her, or like, she's the exception, because nice. often when you're empowered, you're an exception, um, or when they see you as empowered, you're an exception, mm. and so I thought, well, if we make it an anthology, like, that's the first, most physical thing that I'm doing, I'm, inf- I'm Forcing the reader to acknowledge the difference, and and doing that through the writing, through the experience, through the individuality, through the identities, different identities yeah. and backgrounds and lived experiences of the women in the book, and so that's why it turned out to be an anthology as well. Because right. I I really didn't want it to be this. I was trying to get away from that monolithical identity around everyone. And so and so I thought like if if we. If we literally do the most basic, obvious thing, maybe that will make a difference. And I think for a lot of people it has genuinely made a difference that it's an anthology, not a singular narrative by Muslim women. And again, to say there's nothing wrong with the singular books by Muslim women, they're great too, but there was a whole purpose behind the book, and that was to show the sort of diversity and depth of the Muslim female identity, yeah. And, and yeah
0: absolutely like like you've been saying you know really putting on full display the the nuances that there are Mm. and i think it's a really um it's a really successful collaboration you you know you've also given a platform to all of the uh, writers in the book as well to share Mm. um their experiences um so yeah (laughs) honestly just hats off to all of you bravo um, it's and a fantastic read just, just to read. finally just
1: to finally say as well like um yeah. and, as we keep talking about privilege as well like my privilege was getting that book deal but it was also a like you know i need and in acknowledging that i i felt like i needed to share that space and Definitely. so again i really want to say like privilege is not a bad thing it's when mm-hmm. you don't when you just completely think okay everyone else can just get stuffed and like you know it's me and and I really didn't want to do that so I I guess I don't I don't know if this is if this is me but I don't think it is (laughs) Um, I think those of us who don't possess privilege naturally when we do acquire it or it comes to us temporarily we want to share it with as many people as possible but those people who have it and don't have to think about it don't think about sharing it as much as we do
0: as we move into year two of our book club uh, we'd really uh, like this is a topic that we'd really love to have a discussion with um, the members of our book club and like the wider uh, community. And um, so I wanted to ask you if you had any recommendations um things that we could read um, to find out more. Obviously, um, there's it's not about the Burka and Rife, which are really strong starting points. Yeah. But uh, do you have any recommendations for books that you think would make for a great book club discussion on this topic?
1: Um, I would say... So, okay, well, with recommendations, I've got millions, so i my brain back to explain <laughs> <laughs> Um Okay, so... Oh, I think i can't remember if the title that i'm trying to remember but i think there's a book called women on the ground and i think it's essentially an anthology another collection of essays but specifically focusing on the middle eastern yes. experience of women yeah there's also um uh, seven necessary sins which i'm looking at right now because i'm actually doing a panel with mona el Tahawi in october at Literature oh. festival so that's what- maybe not out yet, or oh, it is out yet, I'm not I sure think which it's
0: it is. just come out, like, okay, you I've know, very like recently. Okay, i so <laughs> I'm not because i I need yeah. to um, um Listen to, and also check out
1: the platform, Amalia.com. I'm pretty sure it's dot com, or it's FBK. Yeah, F-K. okay. Um, but Amalia also has a, Amalia is a platform um, that um, it's essentially, what I would describe it as um, is it's not about the burqa, but like it updates all the time.
0: <laughs> oh right. <laughs> it's Fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's, it's platforming Muslim voices,
1: Muslim concerns, Muslim people, just generally like a community there. Um, and it's not necessarily about the Muslimness, it's you know, it's encompassing of everyone. And they also do a podcast, Mm. and I was recently recently listening to a podcast episode, um, and their recent podcast episode was all about sex and, like, women's rights and, um, you know, around sex in Islam, and uh, they do, like, stuff on relationships, they do stuff on just, you know, just just generally it's a fantastic podcast, fantastic platform. and, you know lots of great conversations that happen there um so definitely like those books that that podcast can i just shout out some fiction as well so of course. Um, go ahead fantastic book by um the weird thing about the you know the um, publishing industry is when a, a person of color or a muslim woman gets published we also go to the group of people yeah. um, so i'd also recommend um yasmine Robin book um oh, god take one second just to see if i can find the title of it um which is all the things never said um i'm just gonna put a disclaimer for your um readers it is quite a heavy book um and so trigger warnings for right. like suicide and such okay. so um so yeah but it's a fantastic
0: book and i really 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 do recommend it okay that's that's fantastic um (laughs) like thank you so much mariam for giving us your time um i'm sure like this year has been a real roller coaster for you and i'm always quite conscious when we reach out to authors you know like it's you know it's 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 not just your time you're giving it's you know emotional energy like it's Mm -hmm. it's so much so i really really appreciate
1: um i'm so grateful for every opportunity this year but like i love doing podcasts like that's what i've realized this year that i love just talking i'm a talker generally i don't know if you've noticed um
0: (laughs) you make for a great (laughs) podcast guest